morning, everyone. It's Judith Hake. Hope you're listening to Mad Love. Welcome to the show. Welcome to your daily devotional of sorts. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening. Uh, we're growing, and I love that. I, I again, <laughs> I always, uh, I don't know. I just, it's just nice to know that people are listening and that you're receiving something from this. Uh, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it had some nutritional value. So again, thank you. Go ahead and uh, subscribe. Give us those four or five stars. I mean, I'm being humble. Five stars would be dope. Um, But just go ahead and show some love. And keep uh, talking about the podcast and forwarding the podcast to your friends and checking us out. I really do appreciate it. Um, And yeah, that's that. So... Of course, everyone was devastated. I mean, I know I was shocked to find out that 43-year-old Chadwick Boseman, uh, the Black Panther, has passed away. Um, 43 is young to die, and to know that he was battling cancer for, uh, what, six years, five years, something like that, it's incredible, because Black Panther happened after his initial diagnosis, which I think is 2014, so he must have filmed that in about 2016. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, I have a co-worker who battled colon cancer at the end of last year and the beginning of this year. I think he had a surgery just before COVID, and it was so good to see him. No, I think, see, COVID's got me all messed up. I think he had a surgery last year, and I finally saw him um, and then COVID happened and it was like, where'd he go? Um, we were all quite concerned about him. Um, but he looked amazing and it was just, I mean, it's a brutal surgery. Uh, they removed a good chunk of his intestines and he was walking around with like, a chemo's come a long way. He was walking around with a chemo bag. And when I finally saw him again, he looked like himself. He had gained the weight back, and he just, he looked good. But everybody, as you know, doesn't win that battle. So I'm not criticizing Chadwick, and he clearly was a super private person. I do wish he had spoken up sooner uh, because he could have saved more lives. However, by finally revealing in his death that he's been battling this all this time, I hope that people will go get their colonoscopies. Yes, he was too young. I'll be honest with you. They don't start until you're 50. And yes, this year I've had a colonoscopy. And it's unpleasant. I mean, not the procedure, because you're knocked out for that. But uh, the prep is incredible. But don't let that scare you. Everybody does it, and everybody's fine you've never felt so cleaned out in your life. You really don't think you can go to the bathroom anymore. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and you're like, I, I didn't even know my body was capable. Like, you can get clean as a whistle. So anyway, he uh, he would have been too young to get screening. So if he had symptoms, I mean, it would have been important to go to the doctor. And so... My doctor is like, I think you should start colonoscopies at 40. And this will probably start more doctors into thinking that same thing. Um, Because you can catch it and you can, you know, make sure you are on top of it and keep it from turning into something. 
So anyway, rest in peace, Chadwick. Um, what an amazing career in such a short amount of time. He's a fellow Howard Bison, HU, uh, and what a testament to strength and courage. I mean, this this man was doing some of his best work sick. And it brings me to, you know, my own health. And I've chronicled many times on this podcast in three years. You know, I was very sick between my 41st and my 42nd birthday. I actually almost didn't make my 42nd birthday. I was really, really ill. And, uh, you know, a lot of things were wrong with me. My blood pressure had spiraled completely out of control. I was working in sales. And as you know, if you work in sales, if you're not at work, you're not making money. So I just kept putting it off, putting it off this. I went to urgent care. That was only a couple hours. And this person was like, you need to, you got some sort of upper, I don't know what she told me I had, but it was bullshit and wrong. And she gave me all these decongestants. Well, I just kept taking them. They were all over the counter. And after a month on those, so the D in uh, most of these decongestants is the thing you want to avoid because it sends your blood pressure through the roof and I arrived at the hospital with blood pressure so high I won't share it because I don't want anybody to think they would survive if their blood pressure got that high those are not numbers you want to emulate you you don't want elevated blood pressure especially you know I actually had pretty decent health I ate well I exercised um, which you shouldn't do with high blood pressure, by the way. If your blood pressure isn't managed, you don't want to elevate it because it never comes down. Um, but I was—I didn't eat poorly. I didn't smoke. I didn't do recreational drugs. I had no bad habits. Had I had some bad habits, I would not be here talking to you today. You know, everything was busted up on me. My heart, my kidneys. Um, so here's a newsflash. If you are having problems with your heart, then you're having problems with your kidneys and usually vice versa. Um, You have to pay attention. You know, I had an enlarged heart um, and that was because my blood pressure probably been elevated for years, just not to the point when I finally went to the hospital. I couldn't even walk 10 feet without losing my breath. And I'm like, my fitness should be better than this. It just wasn't making sense to me. Um... And I was actually on the phone with a woman who had terminal cancer. I was trying to uh, do a business transaction with her. And I was explaining like, you know, she was like, you just sound like you're having a lot of trouble breathing. I said, I really am. And I don't understand it. You know, I was just sitting there and, and she was like, you really, you know, sound like you're struggling. I said, I have been. And she goes, I, you know, I know you don't know me. And I know you know that I have cancer because I had talked to her before. And she said, your health is so important. You you just need to go to the hospital. And I, I, you know, when somebody with terminal cancer says something, she's like, I'm just concerned because your, your breathing sounds really not right. And I kid you not, I got off the phone with her. I don't even know if she ever brought the, the transaction to an end. I don't know what happened. I don't remember. I just remember getting off the phone with her and I, I told my supervisor, I'm like, I think I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> so I was driving home. I called my sister. She never does what I say. I said, please, you know, I need you to meet me at the house because I'm, I'm I'm about to park my car and I'm going to I'm gonna go to the hospital. But I, I was working in a rough, rough, rough neighborhood. I was like, I'm not leaving my car over here. And so um, 
she didn't do what I asked because that's my sister. And uh, I pull up to my house. There's an ambulance like waiting right at the front of my house. I almost couldn't park because I had to get around the ambulance. And, um, you know, I guess I had explained my symptoms to her and she was like, why are you driving? And of course, you know, uh, she's a nurse. So of course she, oh, I felt like she overreacted, but she didn't do what I asked, but she called 911. <laughs> so I get out of the car and I didn't even go in the house. Um, the doc, uh, the, the police were, you know, and when you live in the community, people come outside. So all these people are standing there watching me, uh, go into the ambulance. The, the police officer secured my vehicle and, um, I get in the ambulance and I didn't come home for six days. And do you know how sick you have to be in a hospital for six days? You know, and they would not let me go because my blood pressure would not go down. So I had this defibrillator thing on. I couldn't leave the hospital without it. Uh, it's the world's ugliest vest and purse combo. You can't see the, the defibrillator part that's around the vest around your body, but you could see this little bag and it looks like a little computer because that's what it is. And it's there to shock your heart back into place. Um, should it stop working? So I had something called uh, drop dead disease. So 5% of the people on the planet whose fun heart functionality was as bad as mine died. And so, yeah, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I wasn't scared in the moment. It took me really a long time actually to be like, damn, I, that was scary. I should have been terrified. It really, it really, um, wasn't scary in the moment because I wasn't fully processing everything. I They didn't even tell me what my blood pressure was. It was my sister who told me what my blood pressure was. And she's a nurse. And so she was just like, basically, I'm not sure why you're not dead. I have treated stroke patients with blood pressure lower than yours. What in the hell is going on? And she's a very emotional person. So she was just like trying to contain herself. She couldn't anymore. And I was like, what? And then we both started crying. I was like, what the fuck? Am I dying? You know? And so the nurse came back and she was like, what happened? And I was like, she made it seem like I'm about to die. And I remember the nurse who was great. I had a great nursing staff. And uh, she was like, you're not going to die today. And I said, okay. And then, you know, I remember being uh, up in, in the hospital room. And I mean, I, I know what the nurses said and she calmed me down in that moment, but I was, you know, I had started taking medication and I had never been on medication before. And so they were trying to figure out how to get my blood pressure down. And, you know, I, I started seeing things and the doctor explained later, he was like, yeah, your brain is used to a whole lot of blood. So your body had to adjust to this medication. I mean, there was a point where I opened my eyes and everything looked like it was in a prism. It was horrible. And I remember laying in the bed. I was like, I had just bought Jill Scott on iTunes. It was Light of the Sun. It's one of my favorite Jill Scott records. And I just needed to calm down. I needed to calm down. And I was playing the, the, the music in my uh, iPhone and... I remember uh, just getting still and being like, God, I just do not want to die. And a voice clear as a bell was like, you're not going to die from this. And it just like calmed me down. And I was like, Phew. and 
I never worried about dying after that. The only thing I focused on after that was getting healthy. And that's all I focused on. And so fast forward, that was in June, uh, into June. So when I get home, they were like, you know, you got to wear this defibrillator thing for three months. That thing did not come off to like the day before my 42nd birthday. I was walking around with this thing and, you know, it was scary because they make you feel like you're not going to live without this thing. So like your heart's in really bad shape. So you got to be careful. So I um, didn't even like taking a shower because you had to take the thing off. And it was like, oh, shit, what if something happens in this, you know, 10 minutes while I'm in the shower? And I mean, it just it was terrifying. But I was so thankful when I finally went back to the doctor after three months because I had to go to all these other specialists. And, I mean, I was constantly running to doctors. My medication was expensive. And, uh, you know, I didn't have great insurance at that time. It was just a lot going on. And, you know, when you get, when I got out of that thing, it was like September 15th. My birthday was September 16th. It was something very close. It was the week of my birthday that I got out of that thing. And I want to say it was the day before because I was super elated to be out of it and leave the thing you know at the doctor's office but it was just it was it felt like a moment of triumph because they wanted to put a defibrillator in me in my chest so that was the whole point was to if my heart could heal enough in in 90 days I wouldn't have to get the surgery and I did not want the surgery because one day when I was at the doctor a man was there experiencing problems with his defibrillator it had gone off while he was in Memphis and he's like I'm just sitting here waiting for them to fix it I'm like what I don't want that so you know I'm, I guess I'm saying all that to say I get dying young I almost died young you know um 41 42 43 you know they're not young minded folks you know you're not a young person you but you're too young to die when you're in your 40s um and it just there's so much life left to live and I'll be honest with you I have lived the last eight years like my hair has been on fire I have accomplished more in the last eight years probably than I have in my entire life because I just don't take time for granted anymore there's no time to waste You have to get going. You have to do the things you want to do. You have to do it. You have no guarantee. There's no guarantee that you will wake up tomorrow. You want to and you intend to, but you don't know. You know, and especially if you have something that, you know, you've been neglecting or overlooking. And I'm telling you, this was traumatic. I just told you a story in a few minutes that, you know, over time was it took me so I got out of the hospital in June I and I worked on I, I was like it's my heart so I got to work on my cardio so I started riding a stationary bike with the defibrillator for five minutes then I moved up to 10 minutes then I moved up to 20 minutes then I was up to 30 minutes and uh I was eating low impact food I kept eating everything I liked eating except I didn't eat a lot of it and I didn't eat a lot of high impact foods. I didn't eat a lot of sugar. I didn't eat anything that would, that would irritate my system. You know, I wasn't trying to have big burgers and ribs and, you know, I I ate small amounts of protein and just really focused on, on nutrition and, and eating vegetables and, and 
supplementation is huge. Fish oil really helps bring my blood pressure down. It really takes away some of the inflammation. Um, yeah, I started uh, making green shakes. Chlorella was a big part of my healing process. You just have to get food that has nutrients in it. Because if you don't eat food with nutrients in it, you will not heal from whatever your situation is. And I did not feel healthy until... I didn't feel remotely normal until December of, of 2011. So I got sick all... I was not well most of July, uh, most of uh, 2011. And then I went in the hospital and got out late June. And I did not feel better for six months. And I didn't feel like myself. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel like I could risk anything. I couldn't travel. I didn't feel anything until December. And I went to visit friends in Chicago. And even that was like a lot. But, you know, my blood work didn't show up normal for years after that. I mean, I got back to health, but it took a long time for everything to be healed fully. And it's hard and it's miraculous because my doctor still looks at me and I and I'm in the process of finding another doctor because I think he still thinks of me as that person. And it's hard for him to accept that I healed. I mean, really hard. And so um, that's if you've never been through anything like that, that's why you're playing fast and loose with COVID. Because you think, oh, I ain't got that. But I'm telling you, and and I'll, some of this, some of you will believe me and listen, and others will be like, ah, oh, you know, that ain't going to happen to me. Or you'll be in some sort of denial or, oh, that doesn't, you know. But listen, you do not want to be sick. Because you're not guaranteed to get well. And when you're sick like that, you realize without your health, there's nothing left. There's no show. You need to be healthy. Otherwise, nothing goes. Your health is the fuel in the engine. Your health is everything. Your health is a vehicle. If you're not healthy, you're not successful. You can't work. You can't parent your kids you can't do any if you're not healthy you can't do anything so you know don't play fast and loose with your health that's the point people die young all the time I almost died young it's not it's not anything to joke around with and I knew I was dying I I think you know another week of just gutting through with that kind of uh, congestive heart failure I wouldn't be here and I know it and that's the thing People can tell you when they're dying. They feel it. You feel it. Unless you lost your faculties, you know you're not well. And so just don't play fast and loose with your health. Go to the doctor, especially people with insurance. There's no excuse. Go to the doctor. Get your wellness checks. Pay attention to your blood pressure. When you get over 30, stuff starts to show up. It really lets you know where you are when you hit 40. It's like, hey, we've been waiting for you. Jump on in. We got your blood pressure. We got your diabetes. And if and all of these things can be managed. And if you don't manage them, shame on you. You know, yeah, I, you know, cancer is what it is. I've had relatives die from cancer. It's horrible. You know, um, there have been people in my life who got cancer who you know, lung cancer, never smoked a day in their lives. It's horrible. I can't, I can't tell you anything about cancer, but I can tell you if there are other diseases that you can manage, 
shame on you if you don't manage them. And this isn't a lecture. This is a lecture. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you don't want to go through that. And and now I look back with a certain amount of terror, like, wow, and wonder. Because I, I survived something that the doctors were looking at me like, you, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times one of the many doctors that kept coming in my hospital room was like, well, at least you're in the right place. Because basically anything could have gone wrong. Anything. And they would have been like, yep. But I was there. They were expecting a massive cardiac event, a massive, all kinds of events. But it didn't happen that way. And I'm thankful. I wanted to talk about something else really quickly. If you have a chance and you have HBO, watch On the Record. It's the story mostly about Drew Dixon and Russell Simmons. And when she, listen, I tend to believe victims because it's hard to tell your story. Unless you're a sociopath, it's really challenging to tell stories where you've been victimized. Um, Which is why I tended to believe the people in the uh, Michael Jackson documentary, even though they say that that's um, bogus, you know. I don't want kids to be molested, so I hope it is bogus. And I still am a Michael Jackson fan, so I hope it is fake. Um, uh, the Drew Dixon story though is fascinating and it parallels my own. I was never raped or attacked, but I was put in awkward positions where I didn't realize people were not just going to read my screenplays. You know, you're 22 to 25 and you're out in LA and you're trying to get people to read your, your work. I didn't realize people just weren't going to fall in love with working with me because I was a great writer. I didn't realize that, you know, like I told you, I had a, an actor friend who was like, girl, you need to get up, you know, get up on him, get, get in his face. And I'm like, I I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I want to say, Hey, can I send you a screenplay? Boom, boom, boom. That wasn't what she was talking about. I was left with the clear <laughs> and distinct impression that if you didn't flirt with this director, he wouldn't give you the time of day. And uh, I just, that just did not sit well with me. And I have a male counterpart who is bragging about all these directors and people who mentored him. And it's like, you know what? I never was even given that shot. I, when you're 22, you know, they, a 22 year old female, you just weren't given the shot to be mentored. They wanted to do something, but it didn't feel like mentorship. And, um, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Drew Dixon. It's called on the record. HBO max did it. I think at some point it was supposed to be on Apple plus, but you know, it's a powerful documentary and it's a powerful statement about what it means to be a female in a dominated, a male dominated industry, but also an unregulated industry. Entertainment, people don't realize they're always like, go to HR. You can't go to HR. There's nobody to support you. This is at will work. You will get fired and then they'll spread your name all around. Like, you know, don't hire her. Um, she's a troublemaker. You know, she ain't a team player, that kind of thing. And you see it all the time. And I guess, you know, would we even be having this Black Lives Matter conversation if all the the victims were women? We're mostly up here upset. You know, nobody was taking a knee 
or or marching for all the women of violence, victims of violence, you know, whether it's from the police or not. Breonna Taylor, look how much effort it took to get her name even out in the conversation. Nobody was talking about that when it happened, but when it's a man, because LeBron James and all these athletes and people are finally like upset about it and they want to do something about it, they're up here defending men, but you know, this is egregious too. Women, we just have an uphill battle everywhere we turn. And so I don't know, again, like I keep saying, I just want to expand the conversation because it matters. It really does. And this lady, who obviously had a ton of talent, kind of got completely hoodwinked out of her career because she got raped by Russell Simmons. And I'll say allegedly, but when you hear her tell the story, you can see that happening. If you're a woman and and you've been alone in a situation with a, a, a boy or a man or a date, and you felt that one second of like, oh, shit, this could go left, you know exactly what I'm talking about powerful stuff. Have a great Monday. Kick ass. Be the best you can be because it's important, but also because you may not have time to go back and fix it later. Nothing's guaranteed. Be your best at all times. Do your best at all times. I know you can do it. I believe in you.